There may be nothing more complex than the relationship between a parent and a child. Because on the one hand, children don't choose their parents. They don't look at a long list of all the potential options and choose the one that they want. On the other hand, parents don't choose their kids. The same two parents can have, di- have different, very, very, very different kids. Parents don't choose their kids. On the one hand, parents have a massive impact on their child's life. And on the other hand, kids have a huge impact on their parents' lives. Right? Because once you have a child, you now have to keep this human being alive. And you just got used to keeping yourself alive. And now there's this other human there. On the one hand, parents can't force their kids to be good. Even the best of parents with the best of goals and best of intentions have kids who choose another path. On the other hand, not-so-great parents can have wonderful children. And those are just generic truths that have all sorts of exceptions. But I could never even scratch the surface of how complex our individual stories can be with our own parents. I think it's important to acknowledge all of that on the front end because it inevitably affects the way you hear today's sermon. And this, this is the sermon. Christians are children of God. This is, this is the five-word sermon. Christians are children of God. But we need to stop for a second instead of rushing by that truth. I mean, as a Christian, you are saying, when, when, we, when we prayed that prayer together, we said, Our Father. When we were talking about God, the creator of all things, we said, Our Father. We sang a song about the creator of the universe, and we said, This is my Father's world. What does that mean? Because if you have good parents, if you have a good relationship with your parents, that might sound like great news. You have a heavenly father in the creator of all things. But if you don't, if you don't have a good relationship with your parents, that may, really, that may be really tough to hear. Maybe you're not interested in having a heavenly father. But what does it actually mean when we say that as Christians? Do we believe that God is an old man in the sky? Do we believe that God only loves us once we become Christians? Does that mean that God is kind of a heavenly grandfather who spoils you on the weekends? What does it actually mean when we say God is our Father? Well, this morning we heard one description in Paul's letter to the Romans. And we've been preaching through this letter for a while now, and we're about halfway through. And if you're not familiar with the Bible, we actually have Bibles in our pews in front of you. Um, if you want to turn to page 983, that's where we'll be this morning. Uh, if, you don't, if you don't find one, we'll have the, the verses on the screen. But this is what Paul actually says. This is what he's committing to when he says that we are children of God. He says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not, for you did not receive 
I think that has a mind of its own right now. Sorry, everybody in the back. I don't know what's going on. Uh, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. Okay, this is so important. This is what Paul is saying. We become children of God. God actually comes after us. We've cut ourselves off from God's family, and God has come after us and adopted us. We've received a spirit of adoption. And everyone at that time, when they heard this this letter read out loud, what they would have heard is that children receive inheritance. Children always receive inheritance from their fathers. And because we're adopted, that doesn't mean we're second-class members of the family. God wants to give us an inheritance. So in verse 15, Paul says, When we cry, Abba, Father, referring to God, when we cry out to him, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then we are heirs. We'll inherit something. We are heirs to the throne. God wants to give us something. And if you want to know what God wants to give us, you just look to Christ. We are joint heirs with Christ. This is what it means to be a part of God's family. That God wants to give us what he gave to Jesus. We get to share in what Jesus had as his son. Now that might sound really strange, but one great example of this is the resurrection. Jesus died and did not stay dead. And God, for all of his other children, when we die, God wants to raise us from the dead. That's part of the inheritance that God wants to give us. And if that's what it means to be a part of God's family, well, that's pretty great. Man, I want to sign up to be a child of God. If this is what it means, if I get to actually share in all the things that Jesus received from God, I want to be a part of God's family. I mean, who wouldn't want to be a part of his family? Well, you actually have to finish this verse to know why. If we're joint heirs with Christ... This is so important. If we're joint heirs with Christ, if in fact we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. In other words, what Paul is saying, look, if you're a child of God, if you're a Christian, you're going to receive amazing gifts that God gave to Jesus. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit, you're going to receive the resurrection, and you may be really interested in all those things, but let me just tell you, if you're a child of God, you will also receive suffering. As Christians, we either inherit it all or nothing. Because you know Jesus was homeless, right? You know he was persecuted, right? You know his best friends, his disciples who followed him for three years, as soon as the going got tough, they left. His friends abandoned him when he needed them most. Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble. Not you might have tr- trouble. It's likely that you'll have, tr- have trouble. Not odds are you'll have trouble. You will have trouble. This is what Paul is saying. In God's family, you receive amazing gifts, but you also suffer with Jesus. Suffering is an inevitable part of our lives as Christians. 
But what kind of suffering is he actually talking about? Let's acknowledge the fact that in this room there are a lot of different kinds of suffering. So Paul could be talking about persecution for the sake of following Jesus. He could be talking about suffering in just kind of a generic sense that we all experience pain and death. He could be talking about the suffering that we experience as following Jesus, that it's just really difficult to give up what we want and do what Jesus wants. But I think he's using it as a kind of catch-all term. All the pain and frustration and futility we experience in this life, some of which even includes persecution, that's shared by all Christians. We, we aren't exempted from that. God doesn't just magically uh, heal us or rescue from the, us from those things. That's a part of being in God's family. So if you're not a Christian, you might be thinking, this is a horrible advertisement, right, for Christianity. Why is this guy talking to me about suffering for Jesus? I mean, all humans suffer anyway, to some degree. Why would I want to add some to my plate? Why would I be interested? I mean, even if you're a Christian, this is not easy news. You may have been told earlier in life that if you follow Jesus, life will get easier, life will get better. If you pray hard enough, God will give you whatever you want. But Paul disagrees. Being a part of God's family includes suffering. Now, I I really do believe that God can and does heal people and rescue us from certain situations, but God doesn't promise it. God doesn't promise it. In fact, he says, being a part of my family means suffering alongside Jesus and for him. I'm actually reading Pilgrim's Progress uh, right now by John Bunyan, and the main character is named Christian because he wants the allegory to be completely obvious. And, uh, and Christian carries around this burden on his back. And at one point, he reaches a kind of tempter character, a devil-like character. And the devil refers uh, to Jesus as your prince. He says to Jesus, your prince. And, and, he, and he says, your prince should have removed the burden from your back. And I love this quote. He says, as for me, he's, this is the devil character, as for me, many times have I delivered those from burdens that faithfully served me, and so I will deliver thee. This is a temptation for us. This is, a, this is not a promise from God to remove all of our burdens. But the devil says, no, 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 I can, I can deliver you from your burdens. But Jesus is our prince either way. He is our king. But he doesn't make that promise to us. Now, this is just difficult probably for all Americans, right? Because the cultural water we swim in is one of suffering avoidance. We want all burdens to be lifted from our backs. We carefully weigh pros and cons to make sure we're getting enough pleasure to balance out any pain, right? Amazon's two-day shipping teaches us to love instant gratification, right? And we are grateful students of our teacher. We distract ourselves constantly from our suffering and numb ourselves to future suffering. So let's just ask the hard question. Why would anybody in this community around us, why would the city of Austin be interested in following Jesus if it includes this? If we're saying to people, I know this doesn't market well and I know this doesn't advertise well, but if you become a Christian, guess what? 
That includes suffering for Jesus. Well, Paul actually gives the reason in verse 18. He says this, I consider that present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Let me say this loud and clear. This doesn't mean Paul is minimizing our suffering. He's saying when you compare our suffering today on the same scale of eternal glory, they are not worth comparing. I mean, this is like comparing the earth to our solar system. Yeah, the earth is big to us, but at the edge of the solar system, our earth is a pale blue dot. It is tiny in comparison. Paul is saying, yeah, the the reason why you want to join this family is because what we'll experience in the future makes all the present suffering we experience today pale in comparison. But the, pro- the, the problem is we're not there yet, right? We're on this side of heaven. We haven't experienced that yet. So what Paul does is to try to explain this, he wants to show us how big the scope of God's plan really is. In verse 19, he says, All of creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. That's kind of a reference to the end times, the revealing of the children of God. And he's saying, look, look, all of creation is looking forward to that day. All of creation. It's not just individuals. It's not just us. All of creation wants what God has in store for us. He's expanding our understanding of heaven. He's, he's, not, he's not saying that, that it doesn't matter about us being saved as individuals. But he's saying this is what God has in store. He wants all of the universe to be saved. That's how big the scope of God's plan really is. And other passages throughout the New Testament keep saying this over and over. God is going to create a new heavens and new earth. God is going to restore all things to himself, not just individuals for for heaven. He wants to save everything. This is how cosmic God's plan really is. Now, you may be thinking, okay, that, that may be helpful for other people to know how great heaven is going is to be one day. But my suffering is too big. My suffering is too heavy. Paul certainly can't understand just how bad my situation is. And let's be honest. It, this, this may be true. I believe it is true. But when you're in the midst of suffering... It is really hard to believe. When we consider the deepest tragedies we know in this life, the starvation of people across the world, the death of a child, the death of a spouse, the death of a brother or a friend, a cancer diagnosis, mental unhealth. Is it really that easy to believe something like this in the midst of suffering? Does Paul really expect us to be happy-go-lucky because of this verse? Well, the short answer is no. Because as you heard Dia read throughout, the, throughout this uh, passage this morning, Paul talks about us groaning. In the meantime, before we get to heaven, before we get to God's ultimate plan for all things, we suffer. And we groan. 
And he doesn't say that we should be happy and and happy-go-lucky about all this. In fact, in verse 26, this is what he says. The Spirit intercedes. The Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. This is what's happening when you're suffering so greatly and you don't even know how to pray. And your situation is so daunting, you can't understand why you would ever want to look forward to a time with God. The Holy Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, this is amazing, in verse 27, and God who searches the heart knows God knows. In the meantime, before we get to heaven, before we get to what Paul is talking about, God knows. Because the very spirit that's within us, when we don't know how to pray, intercedes on our behalf. He doesn't make the pain go away. He doesn't ask us to pretend like everything's fine. But God gives us the Holy Spirit to groan on our behalf. It's like our advocate. The Holy Spirit is in our corner, making sure that God hears us. And God doesn't simply hear those groans of suffering and log them away in his memory. Paul says this, We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. We know that God is actually working in all of these horrible situations. That when there's a cancer diagnosis and when there's a situation that seems too daunting for you and when you lose a spouse or a loved one, that God is somehow not just hearing your groans from afar. He is working. He's at work. He is making good come from out of that dark and terrible situation. Somehow. This is what God is doing for his family. He draws you in. He promises you glory in the future. And in the meantime, he gives you the Holy Spirit to intercede on your behalf when you are in too much suffering to handle it. And God works in all things. In all things. Can you believe that? Paul has the audacity to say that in all things, God will work for good. That's what God is doing for us as his family. Even if we think it's impossible, even if we say, I mean, there's no way that God could bring good out of this. There's no way God could could have an overarching purpose for this. But Paul says God can and God does, despite and and through and in all things, whatever suffering it is, whether it's the pain of life or the persecution of faith or the discomfort of being a disciplined Christian, God can and does work in all things for the good of those who love him. Every time. Um, I think my words... For, for some of your situations, might seem like they just don't, don't do the trick. They don't really meet you in your situation. And I think that's probably fair for some of the suffering that's going on in your lives. But I think a story 
might help. Because we have uh, one, of, one of our faithful members here, Linda Munger, came up to my office and I wanted to video uh, her share her story. Because she is living this passage out. She is living this passage out. And I want, uh, I want y'all to see uh, what she has to say because she can probably do uh, this more justice than I can. So... That's what it means to be a part of God's family. That's the question we started out with. What does it actually mean to be a son or daughter of God? And God doesn't promise to prevent suffering and take us out of every painful situation. But God gives us his Holy Spirit. To be with us, even with a cancer diagnosis, and mental unhealth, and the deaths of loved ones, and pain beyond what we ever thought we could experience. And God hears, God actually hears our groans, and he works good in all things. That's what it means to be a part of God's family. Don't you want to be a part of that? Don't you want to join? Don't you want to be God's child if that's what it means? I do. Um, I'd like everybody to stand to hear this final section from Romans chapter 8. And... For some of you, this is a prayer that you might want to believe because you're desperate to believe it, but you just don't know if you can. Remember that the Spirit groans with sighs too deep for words. Others of you believe this already, so just take encouragement from these words. But others of you, if you're new to church, new to Christianity, I hope that you believe in the God that this uh, letter is talking about. Because this is the God who follows through from our groans all the way to future glory. Paul says, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, and who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the loving God in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.